and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist feminist podcast that is a miracle of light in this dark, dark world. <laughs> Today we have Zoe, Jules, Laura, and Kellen. Um, Before we get into our topic today, I have some very serious news to share that I just found out about half an hour ago, which is that I've been banned from Tinder. Uh, (laughs) Anti-Semitism, misogyny, homophobia. It is. It is. I was... I was talking to the coven about it a little beforehand, but then I was like, no, I'm saving this to discuss on air because the people need to know that I need to be brought to justice. Um, True. But I have two theories as to why, and I think both are important and relevant to this podcast. (laughs) My first theory is that I recently went on a few dates with this dude um, who I met on Tinder, who... um, like after we matched, told me that he like useless to the podcast, was a fan. He doesn't listen anymore, which is why I'm just gonna say all of the things right spout now. Spout off about this. <laughs> spout <laughs> off. If you're listening, you know. Um, but basically, like he told me that um, he it was hard. He can't date a misogy- uh, misandrist because it's hard not to internalize misandry and like weird shit. He would always kind of do the thing where it's like very like not all men behavior. Um, mm-hmm. And so he ended things like two days ago as of recording this, which is like right around the time that I know that I start like the band started because none of my messages were going through and it was saying error. And then today it like officially said I was bad. Um, so the timing mm-hmm. lines up real close. He also, well, I won't go that into it. That's for another revolutionary romance episode, but yeah. I'm just so disappointed about this. I had such high hopes for this person. And really, I was blinded by the fact that he was a tattooed sober anarchist. And (laughs) some of us have soft spots for those, those kinds of people. (laughs) But alas. No, fuck this guy. Fuck yeah! Really, you hate to see it. I kept joking with Zoe and like writing the wrong name for him when we were talking (laughs) because I was like, I refuse to commit this person's name into my mind. I'm just gonna continue to say a random other s man name. I'm with you. I'm just like also so they ban you, but they don't tell you why. They don't tell you why. That's so rude. They tell you you violated their terms of service, but they don't tell you which one. Bullshit. Um, So I have a second theory since they won't tell me why I'm theorizing, which is that Kellen pointed out that like Tinder has been like cracking down on like political, quote unquote, political stuff. And my bio, it says goth leftist ascended from hell. And so I feel like maybe the puritanical Christians came after me, (laughs) which like they reported you on the one hand. Sure. On the other hand, like I'm doing the work of saying that as a Marxist, I'm also a Satanist for you. So Uh. like. I'm, you know, I'm really playing both sides here. We could all benefit from me. Yeah, that's um, true. But yeah, I just find it very rude. But that does lead perfectly to this week's topic, where we'll be talking about Hanukkah and Christian supremacy in the United States, which somehow or another is how I got banned from Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or a literal man who lost his mind because he caught feelings for you and didn't know how to deal with it. So patriarchy, Christian supremacy, they're all after me. Yes. 
So if you were formerly talking to me on Tinder and then I disappeared, I cannot be reached. Um, don't <laughs> find me. I can't be reached anymore. I'm taking it as a sign from the universe also. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, today we're going to be talking about Hanukkah, as I mentioned. And I think it's an important holiday for us to talk about since contrary to many misconceptions in the U.S., it's actually not really one of the most important Jewish holidays, or at least it wasn't. And we'll talk more later on how Christian supremacy and capitalism led to the version of Hanukkah that we see today. Um, we'll also talk about some of the Hanukkah rituals and um, how to have anti-Zionist Hanukkah celebrations. But before we get into the facts, I thought we could talk about the co-host's own history and understanding of Hanukkah. Um, and I will go first. Sorry, I'm scrolling. I'll start over. I can go first um, because I probably, actually, I definitely have the most intense connection to Hanukkah because <laughs> I'm a Hanukkah baby. Um, I was 10 days late, born on the second night of Hanukkah, which is like mm. the first day of Hanukkah. So I'm convinced that I like waited. Mm. I was like, I will be born on Hanukkah. And so my family at this point, mostly me, um, does like to talk about how I am a miracle of light. Um, feel free to refer to me as such. That's actually <laughs> how I refer to you. I, <laughs> I also had my bat mitzvah on um, that same night of Hanukkah, the second night, which is when I was born, which on um, the Hebrew calendar is the 26th of Kislev. Um, for a little context, the Jewish calendar is considered like a lunisolar calendar. So it's based on the lunar months of 29 days alternating with 30 days. And Kislev, which is the month that Hanukkah is in, is also known as a month that represents dreams, trust, perseverance, and optimism. So um, my bat mitzvah, like a lot of bat mitzvahs have themes. Mine like was Hanukkah themed. Oh. Um, I didn't really choose that. Like my, that was like more my mom, but I was like, sure. Um, <laughs> so it was like dreidels on all the tables and um, just like very Hanukkah. It was like a big Hanukkah party. And I had like the Havdalah service, which is like the night service. Cause that's when you like the menorah. Mm. Um, it was like, you know, whatever. I love my balance stuff because I was a miracle of light. Oh, yeah. And also for my for my sister and mine, my grandmother got us these like um, fancy menorahs, which I still have, but I haven't used it because like my grandmother lit it at my bat mitzvah and it still has like this wax in it that she lit and she's no longer with us. And so I like can't bring myself to clean it, yeah, but really it's beautiful. on display and I love it. Mm. One of the candles is like wedged in. I would have to do a lot of work to remove it that I like will not bring myself to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, also yeah. as longtime listeners know, um, I am a certified Jewish Sunday school teacher, brag, even brag. though I haven't taught in many years, but I love a good moment to teach some Judaism. So we'll get more into the specifics of what all of these things mean um, as this is my moment to shine, <laughs> unintended oh. actually. <laughs> but I was curious to hear from other co-hosts whether you grew up celebrating Hanukkah or not, which I know we have a mixed bag on that. Um, we like do. when you became aware of it or like <laughs> what conceptions you've had of it, anything in that vein. Yeah, so I did grow up selling, celebrating Hanukkah. Um, my family is extremely not religious but does really like traditions. Um, my mom's family is Catholic and my dad's family is Jewish. And so they both had kind of like 
cultural connections to those rituals um, from both of those faiths, but neither of them were particularly spiritual or like wanted to raise us that way. So I guess like most holidays that we celebrated were more about just like spending time with family and of course taking time off of work, the best reason to celebrate. Um, And I guess like I was just thinking about this and like, I don't think I would have articulated it this way as a kid, but I definitely feel like that sort of anti-capitalist aspect of holidays is like what we embrace the most as a family. Um, Like that this is a time to not think about work or like talk to your boss and to really kind of like make time and space for like homemaking and like relationship sustaining activities that are usually just treated as unpaid essential labor the rest of the year and to kind of like invest that energy in a really intentional way with people that you care about. It's so true. I also love to pretend to be like more religious than I am when it's like the Jewish holidays that you don't usually get off for. And I'm like, no, I have to, right. have to yeah, celebrate. Like, I need more. this day off. So sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, fully, fully endorse that. Um, <laughs> like, um, but yeah, so my family basically did this thing where we like combine different Jewish and Catholic holidays into one sort of extended celebration. Um Easter and Passover sort of naturally go together because they're like commemorating historical events of the same time or whatever. And then we also celebrated Christmas and Hanukkah. Sorry, I'm just, I'm laughing. I just realized at- that I said historical yeah. and I was like, I was like, like, yes, Jesus rising from the dead as a right. historical yes, event. that historical event. But, you know, the Passover <laughs> was like, Sorry. The, la- the Last Supper was a Seder and a Passover Seder. Yes. So like, they're like, yes, yes, no, for they sure. They happened at the same time in the canon of Christianity. In the Judaism. Old Testament. Um, you heard yes. it here first. Jules does believe that the Bible is historical. Accurate. Yes, li- literally <laughs> for word. Uh, <laughs> Obviously. But yeah, specifically just the New Testament. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so we, we also celebrated Christmas and Hanukkah to usually sort of together, even though they don't necessarily happen, even at like overlapping times um, every winter. But We didn't really celebrate any other religious holidays growing up, even though, like Zoe mentioned, these aren't even, like, traditionally the most important Jewish holidays. Um, It was more like my parents picked the holidays that fit the time of year, that they had time off work already to celebrate, and then we just kind of, like, made our own rituals around that. Um, And obviously, due to American Christian capitalism, the times of year off just so happened to align with the most important Christian holidays. So that's kind of what we did and how we chose what Jewish holidays to celebrate. I feel like, so my family's also mixed faith and I feel like that is the like opposite of what my mom did. So, well, my dad is honestly just no faith at this point, but he was raised Christian. So um, we would do some Christmas things. We would like go to my aunt's house for like Christmas and Easter, but my mom has always felt very strongly about not mixing them. So like we would have to keep like the Christmas tree and the menorah in separate rooms if they were at the same time. Also, like as Jules was talking about how like the timing sometimes overlaps, but like if I was home for winter break and Hanukkah was like earlier or later and I was like, oh, let's do it now. My mom would be like, no, 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 it's not Hanukkah. Like this is your Christmas break. 
Um, so we could not do that. We also basically set up the tree on Christmas Eve because my mom's birthday is the winter solstice on December 21st, which is also important to her. And like, she does not want a Christmas tree on her birthday. You have a very, um, like powerfully <laughs> born set of, uh, people there in your family. Uh, oh, we do. Baby and a winter solstice baby. And Very so, powerful. yeah, my mom is winter solstice and my dad's mom was winter solstice. And this wow. is how a witch is born. Let me tell you. Wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, growing up, I was like, okay, mom, this is like extra. Um, I think now I understand it more, especially as we're like talking about this today. But I do feel conflicted about it because in some ways I think like Hanukkah being more mainstream stream is like good for visibility of like other religions and other holidays but on the other hand it does tend to be very like christian washed which like i don't know if that's really a term but it's made hanukkah like the jewish christmas which isn't really at all what it is like the like hanukkah bush or like um hanukkah lights like all of those things that are like christmas things just with like hanukkah iconography (laughs) my mom is like absolutely not like that's like just have a Christmas tree, but like don't put like a Jewish star on a Christmas tree. Like that's worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We definitely never did anything like that. I feel conflicted about it too, because it's like I it definitely was the same thing for me. And then it's like we would typically just like celebrate Hanukkah whenever I was home for the holidays. But then if we had not done that, it like there just would not have ever been a time where we would have celebrated a Jewish holiday. So it's like, I don't know. I definitely, I feel conflicted about it also. Um, I was also just trying to remember what I knew about Hanukkah growing up. Um, I definitely knew the story about the oil lasting for eight nights, even though they had enough for one night. Um, Although to be honest, I don't really remember any of the other details. I'm sure I knew them at some point, but I think Zoe is going to explain more about that momentarily but it's funny because I think most of the information I know about like every holiday comes from holiday songs um except for Passover which like the whole holiday is kind of about telling the story of the holiday um so I know like nothing about Easter I literally did not realize what the holiday was about until I was an adult because there aren't any Easter songs and then like like, what I was just saying about how Easter and Passover naturally go together like I literally did not realize that until (laughs) embarrassingly recently (laughs) um But I think the main things I know about Hanukkah are like what the letters on the dreidel stand for. So it's like Nun Gimel Hey Shin, and that stands for Neskadol Hayasham, which means a great miracle happened there because there is a Hanukkah song that lays all of that out and says what the letters stand for. But that's kind of, if there's not a holiday song about it, I probably don't know it. Uh, Just reminded me, has anyone watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? No. It's like a musical show. The main character is Jewish, though, and there's this song that they sing about Jewish holidays, and they're basically, like, talking about how the point of all Jewish holidays is, like, remember that we suffered, and they just, like, keep saying that, which, like, is pretty much the basis of every Jewish holiday. It's, like, there was suffering, and now we're, like, eating and or drinking wine. Mostly drinking (laughs) wine. Um, yeah, so similarly, but also extremely different. Um, (laughs) I grew up in an extremely religious household, but it was a Catholic household. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting not only to hear y'all talk about this, but to talk about just like any type of blase nature towards religion. I'm just like, what's that about? I don't even, I don't know. I don't (laughs) understand. Um, 
And even though I went to public school, I was in a rural area, so there was like no diversity. So pretty much everyone I knew was Catholic or Christian. Um, I only really started having Jewish friends once I got to college, which frankly sounds fucked up when I say it out loud, but it really was the area I was raised in. Um, that being said, the things I knew about non-Christian holidays were extremely limited. Uh, one thing I did know is about the candles and the menorah because Catholics and other Christians, I assume, although I think they vary slightly, have a candle thing leading up to Christmas called an Advent. Okay, well, I don't really know anything about Christianity. Um, my brag. I know. So my dad was raised going to Catholic school, but he like left and has no interest. And so like, I would ask him questions. Like I literally remember being little and being like, dad, who's Jesus? And he was like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great answer. Extremely powerful energy. Anything I asked you just be like, we will not discuss this. Um, But I didn't know that an advent was with candles. I've just seen those advent things that are like a like candies mm-hmm. or um, like those kinds of like little things. Yeah, micro dosing Christmas. Yes, that's yes. the advent <laughs> calendar. Christmas. Yes, and you pop out the little windows and you basically get a little candy. Um, so the advent candles are four candles on a wreath. Three of them are the same color and one is a different color. And you light a new one each week leading up to Christmas. The different colored one, I think, is the third one you light. I don't remember why. The candles on the Advent wreath symbolize hope, joy, love, and peace. Anyways, that's not about this holiday, but again, that's literally where I'm at, where I came from. Um, So the main thing I ever learned about Hanukkah was from an Adam Sandler song, which I had to re-listen to today as I was prepping for this (laughs) because when Zoe was like, maybe we can do an episode of this, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I will surely make a fool out of myself by expressing the fact that literally the things I learned about this came from an Adam Sandler song. And it starts with him being like, go get your yarmulke. It's time for Hanukkah. Yeah, uh, it mentions being a celebration of lights, but it is mostly about him naming all the Jewish people he knows that are famous. Um, he also talks about it being... And he failed to mention me for the True. record. Although, Although I was maybe in shock. Yeah. It, thank you, it is. <laughs> it also talks about uh, the you know Hanukkah being eight days long, which is a really foreign concept to me at the time. Um, but yeah, I would say that was probably my original introduction to this holiday. And then the other way that I learned about Hanukkah is from the show The O.C., Obviously, the main family in this show, if you're familiar at all, is the Coens, and they are a mixed holiday family, similar to what Zoe and Jules were talking about before, and they would have a Chrismica episode uh, every season that really combined a lot of those two holidays together, and I think there was like a lot of kind of expository dialogue where uh, Seth Cohen would just, because he was so obsessed with the holiday, would like explain a lot about what was going on. So, and that is me laying bare the deep lack of knowledge I have about, that I had about all things outside of Catholicism as a young person. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for your bravery. But also, I feel like that is probably uh, the more common experience of listeners slash people in the U.S. in general, I would assume. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, 
I'm subversive by not knowing about Christianity. You really are. <laughs> I wish I didn't know about Christianity. <laughs> it's weird now that I go to a Jesuit school for grad school. And so it's just like assume that you like know about Christianity. And I'm always like, mm. no. no, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for me, I, so I grew up as longtime listeners will know, going to a segregation academy, which is um, a school that like white people started so that they could avoid desegregation. Um, generally in the South, I grew up in North Carolina. Um, and the kind, and that was a school that was um, officially non-denominational, but unofficially like extremely evangelical. Like we would frequently have prayers before um are like assemblies and like there was a big controversy because one time a kid who was leading the prayer said in Jesus name we pray which like upset a lot of people but it was kind of like this is just kind of how things go here um but I do have a vivid memory um like we knew it was a small school so like you kind of knew everybody and like when I was in elementary school we had a holiday sing-along and I think at that time we had like 90 kids per grade and by the time I was in like fifth grade we had one kid who was Jewish in my class um but we still always had one song that we sang during the like elementary school holiday sing-along which was the dreidel song so I knew dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. Oh, dreidel, I will play. You know, whatever. Uh, Is it like oh, I, I made you, you out of play? When it's nice and ready, oh, dreidel, I will play. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's what I, so I knew about dreidels. Um, I have another fun little holiday story, which this goes out to my brother. Um, recently, actually, right before we recorded this episode, Davis's girlfriend um, sent me a message saying that we were her top podcast of 2021. So shout out to Davis and Alex. When we were in second grade, we had this thing that we did where we took the tops of, um, you know, how you can like pop the flat part off of the top of a mason jar maybe you don't know this, but you can like pop the top part off of the top. Um, so it's just like a flat round disc. And we did this craft where we hammered nails into it, like over and over again to make like, it's almost like a stick and poke um, into the top of this um, mason jar. So it basically created a flat gold thing with holes in it in a shape. And you got to pick what shape you did and you made it into a Christmas ornament. So I made like a heart or something. But when my brother Davis got into second grade, he chose a dreidel. And so he made a dreidel Christmas ornament. And I found it in our Christmas ornaments at one point when he was in like sixth grade and I was like a freshman in high school. And I was like, Davis, why the fuck did you make a dreidel? Like, we're not Jewish. This is like good for you, but also this is really fucking weird. And he got so embarrassed by it that he took the dreidel ornament and he hid it in his room so he couldn't put it on the tree anymore. And I felt really bad about it because I just thought it was cute, but also funny. Anyway. So we had the dreidel option. We had the dreidel song. That was the extent of our like introduction to Hanukkah. Basically when we were in like kids, I also growing up, like I have a very, I'm, I'm really like spouting off now, but I have like a very vivid memory of being in fifth grade. And like, re that was like the point at which I started reading a bunch of um, Holocaust books and world war two books. And I was under the impression for, like by choice by choice yeah yeah yeah. like my mom would Very like help cute. me 
I mean, I was like a history nerd at like a young age. So my mom would like help me find books. And she was like, it's important for my child to learn about the Holocaust, which like true. Um, So I was reading books about World War II and the Holocaust. And I learned about the slur that Americans used to use for Japanese people, J-A-P. I also learned about how Jewish people were obviously persecuted during the Holocaust. I was under the impression that the word Jew was also a slur for like an embarrassingly long period of time. Like I heard somebody say the word Jew and I was like, you're not supposed to say that. And they were like, no, it's, it's okay. But like, that was the extent to which I, as a child was divorced from any kind of like Jewish community or other people have like said that to me though. They have. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I've heard that before. I've met other people that were like, can you say Jew? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's where I was I at age 11. People who are not Jewish should not say Jew. Like, you shouldn't be like, that person is a Jew. Like, you should be like, like that person's Jewish. Jews can say that. But yeah, yes. that's fair. Otherwise, yeah. it's just kind of like, mm. it's like, it's definitely weird, but it's not, it's not, to my understanding, a slur on the same level as like some of the other right, stuff that right. I was reading in these yeah. books. But I was like, oh, that's like a, that's like a bad word. Um, but then my cultural understanding really expanded when I got into middle school because we got a couple of Jewish kids who became my best friends because their parents were liberals like my parents. And we really got segregated in middle school. Um, so that was a classic shout out to Gus and Brandon. Um, yeah. Gus and Brandon. So, Gus and Brandon. <laughs> um, so I learned a lot about like Hanukkah and stuff from my friends once I got older. And I feel like there were other sort of cultural reference points, like the Rugrats episode about um, Judaism. And it's a whole movie, Hanukkah. right? Is it a movie? Rug- I just Rats have a, a memory of like Tommy Pickles being like, a Macca baby's got to do what a Macca baby's got to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, Rugrats, that was like, they were ahead of their time for being a very Jewish television That's show. very true. Yeah. I also um, was like, we would watch Rugrats Hanukkah every year. My sister. I love I. that. Yeah. <laughs> but like, despite, even despite like some of my closest friends by the time I was like a young, you know, like a teenager, two of two of my closest friends were Jewish, which was a lot because there were three Jewish kids in my high school. <laughs> Um, despite that, I didn't realize it like that Hanukkah wasn't that important a Jewish holiday until I was in college and like my roommate was Jewish and I was like, oh, Tamara, what do you want for Hanukkah? And she was like, Kellen, it actually doesn't matter that much. And I was like, oh, sorry. Tamara, shout out to Tamara, friend of the pod. Listen to Tamara on Feminist of the Animal Kingdom. We love her. We do. So thank you everyone for bravely sharing (laughs) your histories with Hanukkah. Uh, Yeah, I wanted to give some of the historical background um, to the holiday. So around 200 BCE in Judea, which is the land that is now referred to as Israel, um, also known as occupied Palestine, um, the king of Syria, Antiochus III, um, took control Took control and allowed Jews to continue practicing their religion. However, when his son, Antiochus IV, I'm not saying that other name, <clears throat> uh, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> when his son took over, he outlawed Jewish religion and ordered Jews to worship the Greek gods. And then in 168 BCE, his soldiers descended upon Jerusalem to massacre thousands of people and they desecrated um, the second holy temple of Judaism. And there was this Jewish rabbi named Matathias. Okay. And his five sons led a large scale rebellion against the monarchy. And when Matathias died in 166 BCE, his son Judah, known as Judah Maccabee or the Maccabees, took over the rebellions. So Judah called on his followers to cleanse the second temple and rebuild um, the altar, which is also known as uh, Bima in Judaism, and to light the menorah. So a menorah is uh, actually typically has seven branches is a candelabra and that represents knowledge and creation. Um, a So, which now we will get to the juicy part that you all know, the Maccabees mm. realized they only had oil to keep the lights going for one day. But miraculously, here's the miracle of light. It lasted for eight days. Ooh. This is absolutely historically accurate. Do not question it. And alas, the eight nights of Hanukkah, there we go. So Hanukkah is known as a festival of lights or the miracle of light and the Hanukkah, which is a form of a menorah. So a Hanukkah is a menorah. Not all menorahs are Hanukkah have nine branches because there's the one in the center, the shamish, and then four on each side for the eight nights of Hanukkah. And you light a new candle each night. And interestingly, um, this is one of the only holidays that is not in the Torah because it was after that was written. So in the Western world, Hanukkah has become very commercialized, as we've been talking about, and consumerism has made it easy for non-Jews to profit off of Hanukkah and rebrand it as this like Jewish Christmas. However, um, the story of Hanukkah is meant to represent resilience and dedication and strength during dark times. And yeah, historically it was not about gift giving, but it is now. So the story of Hanukkah has been used by Zionists to justify um, the Jewish people's like right to the land of Israel by painting the Maccabees as a nationalist group that were fighting for a Jewish homeland. However, that's actually very inaccurate as uh, all Zionist beliefs are. So the Maccabee, according to the Maccabees books, um, the Maccabees were not nationalists or religious zealots. They were fighting against the massacre of secular Jews who wished to mix um, Jewish and Hellenistic Greek practices. So although the holiday was meant to denounce Jewish assimilation, it has become one of the most prominent examples of Jewish assimilation in the U.S. Um, for one example, yeah, Hanukkah did not used to include exchanging gifts, but that's become part of it thanks to big Christmas industry, which little anecdote about that. One time my grandmother took me to the mall to buy me a Hanukkah gift and like I picked out some little toy, whatever, but it was around the holiday time. So the person automatically wrapped it in like a Christmas box. And I, I know. And my grandmother was like, oh, do you have like other wrapping? And they were like, no, like whatever happened. This is before the war on Christmas. This was when people were less woke about it. It was like <laughs> 2000 or something. And my grandmother like stormed off. And again, at the time I was kind of like, I don't know why this is that big of a deal. Like I just kind of wanted this stuffed animal. Um, it was a little yellow and pink elephant. I remember distinctly, but yeah, now I get it, especially because my grandmother was Eastern European and her parents um, fled Eastern Europe leading up to the Holocaust. And so like having that culture is very important. And she was like, how dare you use Christmas paper, sir? 
Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Your whole family is just like the next level badasses. I guess so. Yeah. Um, I got it from somewhere. Every time my mom's really sassy and I'm like, mom, you're being so sassy. She's like, where do you think you got it from? Roasted. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, okay. Okay. Here. So we wanted to talk a little bit about how capitalism and other holidays kind of connect. Um, so, I mean, I think everyone listening to this podcast probably gets how much Christmas has been completely tied to consumerism and gift giving for a really long time at this point. Um, but I would like to share that in the actual Bible, which I would not, the thing is Catholics don't read the Bible is something that is is like the joke of Catholics. But basically this piece in the Bible suggests like how bad it is that we have turned this holiday into this thing. Which, as anti-capitalists, we could already sense, but here it is from a religious perspective. So, according to the Gospel of St. Luke, Jesus was born in a barn, there being no room for him. You maybe have heard of this story. Uh, And at the inn in Bethlehem, all of the teachings related to Jesus suggest that he was against the acquisition of wealth and worldly goods. His message celebrated and elevated the poor, and he was quick to warn of the danger of materialism. A quote that I'd like to share from the Bible is, which is something you will almost never hear me say ever again. (laughs) (laughs) But is fact, according to Jules, historical fact. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Whatever you're about to say is true. I don't know what it is, but. (laughs) Prepare yourselves. Uh, quote, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Um, and there is also talk of jubilees in the Bible where everyone's debt would be wiped every 50 years or so. So I know that's not the point of the quote, or I know this is not the point of the quote, but I must say that that quote has been warped over time. And, when you, and was used on me as a child to tell me how impossible it was. it is to get into heaven. So on this week's version of Catholicism Ruins Lives, I just want to say that when you tell a child that, one, there is definitively an afterlife and your whole purpose in this life is to get to that afterlife, and two, any quote-unquote mistake they make in the eyes of the church or God will impact their ability to spend eternity, eternity at peace or in heaven, and three, telling them that getting into heaven is as hard as pushing a camel through the eye of a needle. That shit is abuse. You're basically training a child to dissolve into one million tiny shattered pieces every time they do something human because they then think about spending an eternity, a concept that is fucked to teach a child about anyways, in a fiery fucked bad place. So a little bit of a detraction (laughs) there, but needed to scream about it. No, that reminded me, though. So um, when I was in when I was going to like Jewish school, um, we did this thing where like a local like church group that was like our age, like came with like, I think there was a priest or something. And it was like us and our rabbi. And we were just kind of like supposed to like talk about religion and like ask questions. And one of the like Christian kids, I don't know what denomination they were. I don't remember, but, um, asked the rabbi, like, well, what do you think of heaven and hell? And I went to a reform synagogue. So this definitely varies between like different sects of Judaism. But, um, my rabbi at the time was like, 
well, we just have no way of knowing what happens after you die. So like, we just kind of believe in like crossing that bridge when we get there. Like, how could we possibly know that? And these Christian kids, when I tell you, they were shocked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, it's (laughs) literally, it's the scariest concept to let go of, too, Mm -hmm. when you're transitioning out of the church, at least it was for me, like the idea that you could possibly just, you know, dissolve into nothingness, which is like now a totally fine thing for me to think about. But when you're trained for so long um, to have this other belief system, it's really, really dark. But all that being said, it, it there is a lot um, related to not spending wealth, not being okay with hoarding wealth, um, that type of thing throughout a lot of Christianity. And obviously, that's not how the radical, evangelical, right-wing nonsense people operate today. But yeah, so obviously, Christmas has become about gift-giving since this time, and it is something that some Christians feel uneasy about. Um, There's a lot of statistics that not only does it end up costing people a lot of money to buy gifts for one another, but there's actually billions of dollars wasted in the process. Meaning if gifts aren't enjoyed by others or like thrown out or donated, that money is basically wasted. Um, So the whole thing at this point kind of feels like a performative waste of time. I still do give gifts at um, Christmas, and it's easy and fun when it's for people who I know will enjoy the things that I pick out. But for my, like, Trump-loving sister who I barely know, and it's just kind of like, okay, I guess I'll get you a handle of vodka because I know you'll use it. Like, honestly, that's a very stressful experience (laughs) for me (laughs) for a number of reasons, which, you know we'll get more into in a couple weeks when we do a uh, mental health in the holidays episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to it more then, but I definitely relate to that. It's hard for me because I make the least amount of money in my family, which has become especially hard since like my sister and her partner make a lot more. So it's different than just kind of like parents giving presents to their kids. Um, But so I feel like guilty and like awkward when the gifts that like I'm able to give aren't as expensive, especially because my sister, my sister's a really good gift giver. Um, she is a Virgo stellium and she gets very into it and has like a mm. theme and like, it's great. And I appreciate it. And then I'm just like, but I, I can't like do this in return. And so it does make me feel bad. And of course we give gifts for both holidays, even though literally no one in my family cares about Christmas. It's just like now our only Christmas tradition is like, we decorate a small tree and cook food and exchange gifts. And then at night we decide to be Jewish again and eat Chinese food. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, poorest family member solidarity. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to everybody in my life who's getting an embroidery hoop for Christmas this Hell year. Yeah. Um, my Kellen embroidery hoop is hanging right there where I'm pointing oh, I to see in it. my background. That's it. That's, I honestly really love handmade gifts. And I think that honestly, I'm now ready to say that they are anti-capitalist. Um, well, whoever gets me in the secret Santa season of the bitch exchange will also probably be getting a handmade gift. So just get ready for that. I mean, last year I did send Kellen some of my artful nudes. That's true. <laughs> I do have artful nudes for Nova as a Christmas project. <laughs> And that I think was um anti-capitalist, anti-patriarchy. Oh, amazing. <laughs> um, my secret Santa gift. 
but like yeah I don't know I love like making playlists for people which is like a creative thing that I can do um and I love when I get a gift that someone invested like time and creativity into so I I just feel like people should not be mad if they get handmade gifts instead of like purchased things since it's generally way harder and takes more time and thought anyway yeah 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 so next thought we could talk about some of the like standard um Hanukkah rituals so of course there's letting the menorah um because of the persecution of Jews in many places over time which we love to talk about um how we suffered but it is now customary to keep your Hanukkah in the window to show that like you're proud to be Jewish and it's referred to as like publicizing the miracle of light. So it's also to kind of like share that miracle. Oh, Um, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah. So some people also um, will like, if if you want to be witchier about it, some people kind of like anoint the candles beforehand with like oil. A lot of people put like, if they're not lighting it with oil, they'll at least like put some oil on the candle as like to be reminded of the oil and that can be like essential oil or whatever. Some people put like herbs, um, other like ritualistic practices, depending. And then some of the well-known, um, herbal uses with that are like cinnamon for warmth and attraction, rue for protection. Fennel is supposed to remove malignant spirits and cloves are also for warmth and protection, which is interesting because in like, um, for Havdalah, you like sniff a spice box and it has like uh, cloves and cinnamon and I think anise. I forget all the things. I had to make a million little bags of it for my bat mitzvah. But um, like, yeah, traditionally you like pass around this like herb box that everyone sniffs on uh, for Havdalah. So aside from the lights, oil is a very important part of Hanukkah. And that's why latkes are like the main food, also jelly donuts and pretty much any other food fried in oil are like Hanukkah foods. Yeah, I actually looked into this because I feel like we were talking about this episode and I was like, why is that jelly donuts specifically? Like the fried food part makes sense to me because oil, um, although my partner and I were discussing now that air fryers are a thing, like if you air fried something, would that still be celebratory if it's not made with oil? Damn, I honestly um, feel like I traditionally would not. not. Yeah, I think no. I do want an air fryer though. Right. Like it's I think <laughs> it's about the oil. Um it definitely is. But anyway. Yeah, I well, I got one for my pre- but but the first known reference to eating fried foods for Hanukkah is in the writings of a 12th century Spanish rabbi who said, quote, one must not make light of the custom of eating fried fritters it is a custom of the ancient ones unquote and i just love that that's amazing um so i will good. be telling myself that every time i am drunk <laughs> yeah it is a custom of the ancient ones I'm, we must uh, <laughs> i also that's presumably a translation um because you know i don't know he was a spanish rabbi but apparently in the 16th century sugar got a lot cheaper and more accessible in europe unfortunately due to imperialism and colonialism but there was this so-called pastry revolution in europe because suddenly everyone had sugar and so at that time jelly got a lot cheaper and it started being added to the donuts also 
So it seems that it was after the creation of modern Israel that it became more of an official thing because people wanted to establish like a national identity. And that was part of the way that they did it, which I don't love because why do donuts need to be nationalist? But anyway, I think we can all agree that fried food is delicious. And the actual original tradition is truly thousands of years old at this point, which is pretty cool. That is really cool. I did not know that jelly donuts were nationalists. Um, Zionists are truly yeah. just like not okay. Hated learning like, that. Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then the last um, like ritual or custom I wanted to talk about, which has been brought up, is the dreidel, which is also called a sivivon, which I literally remember because dreidel is the Yiddish word, sivivon is Hebrew, but there is this song that we sang in Hebrew school that was like sivivon, sof, 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 which means like dreidel, spin, spin, spin. And then it's whatever. Then you go into this whole verse about Hanukkah. Um, but anyway, one of the most iconic aspects of Hanukkah at this point, a dreidel is a four-sided spinning top. Fun fact that I learned when looking into this, spinning tops are the oldest known toys in the world, which date just like spinning tops in general, not the dreidel, but they date back to 35th century um, BCE, according to some archaeologists somewhere and the internet. But for the dreidel, Jules already um, said the letters. So there's Gimel and then you win the full pot. It's kind of like a, if you've never played like poker-esque there's a pile in the middle of like gelt or money or we play with chocolate chips if you've so- never played what has been going on because even i played dreidel as a child <laughs> as, as established my, never my childhood was very culturally poor wow okay well i'm explaining never it. played this is news to me thank you <laughs> <laughs> so if it lands on gimel you win whatever's in the center the whole pot if it lands on hay you get half if it lands on none, these are all um, Hebrew letters. If it lands on none, you get nothing. And shin means you put one in, you pay. And the letters, sorry, the letters are have Yiddish origin. Um, so they are Hebrew letters, but they come from Yiddish words. So gimel is gantz, which means tall. Um, hai is for hob, which means half. None is for nisht or nothing. That one you've probably heard of like nicht, nisht. Maybe not. I don't know. My, my grandparents spoke Yiddish, so maybe I just think these are common words. Um, and I'm going to bet that for Laura and me, they're, they're not, but <laughs> that's okay. And then Shin comes from Shell Arain, or to put one in. Um, and something that I also learned recently, which I think is really interesting, is that some people use dreidels um, in more of like a divination kind of way. So you essentially pay attention to the significance of each role and interpret that by like looking into your own life. So as you play, you kind of think about like um, how much you're like taking and giving, how like the sharing is working amongst the group, just kind of like the dynamics of thinking about that more, which I just think is really interesting. Um, And also it's just a fun game. And then you get to eat a lot of chocolate if you win or if people want to share with you. And that is where you analyze if you have the right people around you in your life, if they share their chocolate. I love I'd that. Share my I did not know you. about. Uh-uh. I would share my chocolate with all of you. Hell yeah. I didn't realize the um, like divination aspect of it though. That's really cool. Um, okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about Hanukkah songs, which we have mentioned, but um, 
I feel like there are a lot of Hanukkah songs, especially for kids that are sort of meant to be educational and teach you about the rituals, like the dreidel song we mentioned. I also sang the Sivivan one growing up. Um, Although I think like I didn't hear enough songs that actually explained what like the story behind Hanukkah was about, but Either way, it's nowhere near the level of like how many Christmas carols there are. And obviously around this time of year, like everywhere you go, they're specifically playing Christmas songs. Mm. And so I just have started like getting on this thing of like, why are there not like other holiday songs? Like why are all of the songs mostly for Christmas? Um, So this is a bit of a tangent, but like there aren't really any Thanksgiving songs. We go straight to Christmas carols in November in like every single store and radio station. And I was just like, why are there no like pop songs about Thanksgiving or Hanukkah or any other like winter holidays? (laughs) Yeah, this just to jump in real quick. This reminds me of a tweet I saw that was like Nightmare Before Christmas is 50% Halloween movie and 50% Christmas movie, but surprisingly does not hit at Thanksgiving. No I Thanksgiving movies. Um, but yeah, yeah no, you're totally right. We really have a lack of Thanksgiving content, but I, so I looked into this a little bit and for the Thanksgiving thing specifically, it turns out that Thanksgiving used to be considered a winter holiday more so than a fall holiday. And a lot of songs that we think of as being Christmas songs were originally written as Thanksgiving songs. So one example is Over the River and Through the Woods, which is a very wintry song that talks about like snow and ice and stuff. It was originally based on a poem about Thanksgiving called the new england boys song about thanksgiving day <laughs> um which is hilarious and it was thanksgiving actually- is objectively in the fall it is pre-winter solstice which as right. established I'm-, I'm an expert on i yes i'm not sure if it's because of like global warming like did the seasons change mm. or maybe it's just like if this was like at a time when new england was like setting a lot of culture for the rest of the country and it's like yeah. colder there but Who knows why, but a lot of these Thanksgiving songs are about snow. Um, That one was actually written by an abolitionist and indigenous rights activist named Lydia Mariah Child. So she seems cool. I wrote about Um, her in my dissertation. Oh, cool. That's awesome. I had never heard of her before, but I was like, oh, this person who wrote this random song also (laughs) seems like a bro. (laughs) Um, But the one that most shocked me to learn about was that Jingle Bells was originally a Thanksgiving song. Um, And the original lyrics are actually kind of like raunchy for the time period. They describe like racing in your super fast sleighs with cute girls and like falling over and getting stuck in snowbanks and rolling around with them. Hell yeah. Um, Yeah, which is like (laughs) great. I think they cut that for the Christmas version. Mm. But anyway... Back to the theme of this episode, which is Hanukkah. Um, It seems like a lot of holiday songs just sort of get subsumed under this banner of like Christmas, winter holidays, and that just like in the US is taken to mean Christmas. Mm. But there are a few more sort of like pop adult Hanukkah songs that I highly recommend for your Hanukkah playlists because at one point I was trying to make a Hanukkah playlist and I like found every song I could find. Um, So Laura mentioned that Adam Sandler song. Um, It's called the Hanukkah song. It's very silly, but it also is like a rock song. So, you know, it's not like a children's like dreidel, dreidel, dreidel type of vibe. (laughs) 
Um, and there's also a Modest Yahoo song called Happy Hanukkah, which is a total banger. The main lyrics are, Happy Hanukkah, I want to give a gift to you. Light up the lights, my love shines through from Mount Zion. This is what we do. Truly iconic. <laughs> um, and I also discovered this album called Hanukkah Plus that has songs from people like Haim, Yola Tango, and fascinatingly, Jack Black. So definitely check that out if you need some Hanukkah-themed music. Thank you so much for that, Jules. Definitely check out those songs. Um, another brag, I was in my synagogue choir growing up, so I know <laughs> so many Hanukkah songs. Um, but you're totally right, they're not as common or melodic, if I'm being honest. Like, a lot of them are not great. Although, <laughs> also, a lot of them are, like, parodies of, like... Actually, like, I want to say, I, I do think Sevivon is a banger, and, like, that's actually oh, the song I was Sevi talking Von's about with the uh, Neskadol Hayashama Great Miracle Happened There. Yeah. Like, that's from that song also, so great. That's oh, constantly also... stuck in my head. Wait, now I have to look at this song. It was, um, it's actually in Spanish. It's by like Spanish Jews. Oh, yeah. Um, is it, uh, like, I think Buna it's called like Ocho Candelica. Yeah. Yes. I love that one. It's actually, it's in like old Spanish because it's yeah. like, I don't know. It's, it's like, yeah, that's, that's a great one. Also. That is banger. You're right. I think I it's called Ocho Candelicas. Yeah. And you like so, count up, you count up the Candelicas. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, a lot of the ones we sang um, in the synagogue choir were like in Hebrew or a mix of Hebrew and English. So I also often just, or Spanish, I also often just like had no clue what I was saying um, because like modern um, conversational Hebrew is like very different from like the Torah Hebrew that you learn, which is like the ancient language. Um, and so I can like read, well, I at least could read and write Hebrew, but like, I've never been conversational. I can say like some random words. Um, but anyway, um, Slayri, let's go for a Slayri. We sang in middle school choir and like, that is a fucking bop. Let's go for a Slayri. I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I also am really waiting for the Mariah Carey cover of, like, I'm a little dreidel. I think that would be a pop. Like, there's not enough, like, pop covers of the Jewish mm -hmm. songs. That's what I think is part of the problem. Yeah, agreed. Let's go for a play <laughs> ride. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I thought that we could end by talking about any, um, like, Hanukkah plans this year. So I know Kellen went to a Hanukkah party yesterday. Drag. Yes, I did. I did go to a party. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to share? Was sure. it fun? I what mean, happened? yeah, it was fun. It was like pretty low key. Um, uh, a sort of newer friend of mine had a Hanukkah party. Um, there were like thousands of latkes and I ate probably upwards of 15 of them. Not exaggerating. I put a ton of sour cream on it. It was great. Had some wine um they did some prayers which like i didn't understand because i don't speak hebrew and let a couple menorahs which they most put on the people don't understand <laughs> but they put the the um menorahs on the windowsill which i didn't understand the significance of until recording this episode so thank you for that zoe now i understand and it's even more beautiful than i realized also that reminded me wait jules do you know the latka song that's like i am 
a little latke, a nice potato pancake. I, <laughs> I come know to you at Hanukkah <laughs> with lots of things to eat. This is the, this is the good part that reminds me what Kellen said. Because then you go like sometimes with applesauce, sometimes with jam, sometimes with sour cream. Because that's the way I am. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, You're all so welcome for that. I relate kind to that. of haunting, but the lot because they're speaking to me as I'm eating them. But I love it. <laughs> but I feel that sometimes I'm with sour cream, sometimes I'm with jam. That's just the way that I am, you know. Honestly, so. was that's kind yeah. of like a bi pansexual metaphor if you think about it. Wow, so true. Lot because they're the original bisexuals. Lot because we're born this way. <laughs> So I made latkes. Um, well, it was so fucking good, by the way. Zoe's oh, they were. Pictures. Yeah. My family is very good at making latkes. We made them on Sunday after Thanksgiving because that was like the first night of Hanukkah. Um, but we made them while I was still home. They were amazing. I like to do sour cream and applesauce together, sometimes a little hot sauce. My family also makes cheese latkes, which I have discovered are a lot less known about, but they're so good. It's like cottage cheese and like egg and some flour that you fry up and you cover that in sour cream. Um, they're Eastern European. When we get together as a group. Yeah. So I'm not that good at frying them. They always fall apart. I think it's because I'm not yet my mother. Um, mm-hmm. No, we'll make them. They're so good. Well, I'm working on the, at least the cooking aspect. <laughs> <laughs> no, cheese like are so good. And my sister and I like became convinced that my grandma, our grandmother like must've come up with them because Almost like no other Jews that we know are like, yeah, I've had cheese. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) They're really good. So we usually like do both on like different nights. Uh, And there's all kind of latkes, but potatoes are the most common. But also, so for Hanukkah, my mom. So my grandmother, my Jewish grandmother passed away when I was 16 and my mom went to Florida where she lived and brought her back to Philly. And she was like in hospice in our house at the time. And when my mom went to Florida, I was like, can you please get um, this music box that my grandmother always had that I like loved? It's like really beautiful. And it plays this song. And um, my little cousin who lived with my grandmother at the time was like really upset that she was dying and smashed it. It's like a glass music box. And my mom kept the pieces for me. But so I hadn't seen it since then. It's been obviously like over 10 years. And then my mom gave it to me for Hanukkah. She's like always said she would like fix it for me. It's still not quite fixed. That's another story. But so what I found out that I never knew as a child is that the song it plays is Hatikva, which is the national anthem of Israel. You hate to see which it. wasn't shocking to me because my grandmother was a Zionist, but I just never knew that because mm-hmm. um, I like learned the words to it in Hebrew school, but they're in Hebrew. I like didn't know what it meant. I didn't know it was the anthem, or at least I didn't remember that. And like the melody is from a Romanian folk song. So like it does have a pretty melody if you don't think about the words or what it is now used for. Um, but so I decided and I feel good about it that I'm going to replace the song, which you can do with You Are My Sunshine, which is like what my grandmother always sang to my sister and I and called us like her sunshine girls because um, they watched us when we were little before they moved to Florida. And so when we would come to visit, she would say that like we were like bringing the sunshine to Florida. So it's very sweet. That's so cute. Um, but yeah, I was I was gifted a Zionist box this past weekend. But my family all supported me changing the song. Like we were all kind of like, oh, like we did not. No one remembered that that's what it was. 
That totally makes sense. Um, well, I'm also making latkes tomorrow, and we have not played dreidel yet, but I think we probably will play dreidel. Um, now that I know it can also be used for sort of like predicting your future, I like that aspect, so I'm going to have to pay attention to that. Well, I Laura know. is planning to eat cheese latkes at our season of the bitch retreat now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> love that and maybe play dreidel who's to say yeah i i think we maybe should play dreidel like i think that would be super you have to play at some point in your life i'm I'm so down love this we're gonna have a hanukkah party january 8th no one tell my mother hell yes Um (laughs) well at least it won't be christmas and i think that's officially after the 12 days of christmas have ended so it'll just be fully separate yeah i think the 12 days that lead up to christmas yeah, so we are planning a season of the bitch retreat for the co-host, and um, if you're interested in sponsoring that, as always, you can head over to our Patreon. I know we're not done yet. I know Khaled wants to add. I just had to plug that. You have to plug it. <laughs> um, so true. As many of you know, it's not just Hanukkah time. It's also another. It's time for another holiday that we all treasure, which is the Spotify releases your data back to you day, um, also known as Spotify Wrapped. <laughs> um, Yes, we're stealing your data, but we're making you feel good about it somehow. It's fine. Anyway, we just wanted to share some little tids from our season of the bitch, Spotify Wrapped, because we get one as people who are on Spotify ourselves. Um, we were brag. Listened- brag. <laughs> we were listened to in 66 countries. Oh, oh. Um, our followers went up by 460. 406- 61% this year, which is wild. My God. Um, you people love us. You love us. And we love you too. 223 of you love us so much that you listen to us more than any other podcast. Ooh. Um, and this is my favorite part. 24 fans spent their birthdays listening to us is what Spotify that says. That is so sweet. So thank you so much. Um, and honestly, if that's you right now, that's happy birthday. Spotify. Happy birthday. And if you listen on yeah. like your... Podcast could be different. Yeah, so. there could be people SoundCloud. listening to us on their birthday on SoundCloud. Like right. we don't even wow. know. Those are just the people we know, know about. True. Well, speaking just of birthdays, in case, happy birthday. <laughs> just in case, happy birthday. Um, my birthday is next Tuesday, December 7th, and you can Venmo me to buy me a drink. Um at Zona Seam. So it's my Twitter <laughs> handle. You can follow me. You can memo me. Thank you so much. That's C-O-N-A-S-E-E-F. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You can also follow Season of the Bitch at Season of the Bee. That's on Twitter. That's on Instagram. You can, as Zoe said, throw us some money on Patreon. We're at uh, patreon.com slash Season of the Bitch. You can send us an email, seasonofthebee at gmail.com. That's also where you submit your applications to date Laura, just in case anybody thought we were going to forget about that. We have not. Yeah. Also, I guess I'm now accepting applications because I'm banned from Tinder, so I don't know what else to do. That's the only way to date Zoe now. (laughs) You have to submit season of the B applications. Sorry to all who were talking to Zoe on Twitter, but I mean on Tinder. And uh, Twitter. (laughs) And Twitter. Sorry. Yeah, Yeah, you should talk to me on Twitter. What's up? (laughs) Slide into some DMs. Not mine, but someone else's. Don't talk to me. Do not perceive me. Someone (laughs) else's. But yes, Laura and Zoe, 
send them send them some messages who knows uh yeah i think that about sums it up happy hanukkah happy hanukkah happy, hanukkah. happy birthday happy, happy birthday so get your yarmulke <laughs> it's time for hanukkah <laughs> all right love yes. you love you love, love you, you. Bye. bye bye season of the bitch